Welcome to the RCAP USA Roundup, a podcast where we have real conversations affecting both cattle producers and beef consumers. We're your hosts, Jaden Moreland and Karina Jones. With that, let's get to today's episode. This episode is sponsored by the South Dakota Stock Growers Association. For over 125 years, they have worked to promote the independent livestock producers in South Dakota and to preserve the viability of South Dakota ranches in rural communities through proper legislation, property tax reform, school funding, and stewardship and land management. For more information, call the office at 605-342-0429, find them on Facebook, visit their website, southdakotastockgrowers.org, or stop by their office in downtown Rapid City. The South Dakota Stock Growers is RCAP USA's largest state affiliate, and we are thankful for their support of the 2022 RCAP Convention and thankful for the work they do on behalf of the American cattle producer. On today's episode, I sit down with South Dakota Stock Growers Association President and RCAP USA Checkoff Committee Chair Vaughn Meyer at the Black Hill Stock Show and discuss stock growers, the beef checkoff, and the needed reforms to move our industry forward. Well, Vaughn, welcome to the RCAP USA Roundup. We're so excited for our conversation today, so let's just go ahead and get started with, why don't you tell our listeners about yourself, um, just who you are, your family, and your operation. Well, I'm, I'm Vaughn Meyer. Uh, my wife, Lois, and I have three children, uh, one son that, that helps us on the ranch at Riva, South Dakota, which is a uh, purebred uh, Angus operation, Angus, Black Angus and Red Angus operation. We have two daughters, one that works in Rapid City and one that's a veterinarian in Rushville, Nebraska. And they also uh, work a lot on the ranch along with our grandkids. And that's, I guess my grandfather homesteaded the place in 1909 and I'd be the third uh, third generation and my grandkids would be the fifth generation there. Well, that's cool. I did not know that. So let's back up a bit. How long have you been a member of our CAF and what? how did you get involved, I guess? Well, I think probably since about the beginning, as far as I know. Yeah. I don't, prior to 2000, I guess, uh, in there. And, uh, well, I don't know how I got involved. I guess originally uh, the the executive director at that time and my family were quite close friends and that. So that's kind of, kind of how we got asked it when he, when he said that they were forming this RCAF USA and asked if we would take part in it. Very cool. So talk to me about how you've seen your operation and just the ranching industry change in general. Just since you, yeah. like, since your grandparents homesteaded and yeah. kind of as well, as you've taken it. It's pretty alarming, actually. What uh, I guess the best part of it is we're still around. We're one of the few that are, are around. But I've seen the contraction of our industry. It's, it's uh, really alarming on there. You know, when we grew up, we probably were on 2,400 acres and... and uh, we had our horses and our cattle and we had time to do things and visit with neighbors and stuff. It seems like nowadays everybody's got their nose on the grindstone and you're trying to make ends meet. And of course, there's a lot of a lot of places that are gone and our place, for one, is, has gotten bigger over the years by accumulating some of those that have chose to leave our industry in there. We were fortunate in this last year to uh, be able to take on some extra land that will help benefit uh, three of our neighbor kids along with two of our own. So that, that part, if, if kids don't have some way to get in anymore, it's almost exclusive in our industry because of the, the cost of the uh, repairs and, and uh, expenses are far, far outweighing the uh, income and revenue end of it. Yep. So you've held some pretty important titles within the industry. <laughs> so first off, RCAP USA Checkoff Committee Chair, 
former Cattlemen's Beef Board member, South Dakota Beef Council member, former president of Organization for Competitive Markets, former board member at the Angus Association, but most recently you're the president of RCAF's largest state affiliate, the South Dakota Stock Growers Association. And so I heard the other day y'all are the oldest cattle association in the state and in the country. Is that true? In the United States. Very cool. Yes. And so for our listeners who might not be familiar with the stock growers, kind of just talk to us about your organization and what y'all work on. And Well, uh, South Dakota um, Stock Growers Association really started out as, as a, just a stock growers association, which combined Wyoming, uh, South Dakota, uh, some of the North Dakota, uh, Montana, and maybe even a corner of Nebraska when, when the big cattle ranches were running in the late 1880s and, and that. And then it it moved from there when they moved the office into Rapid City, South Dakota, why it became more of a state organization. But we still have members outside our state, too, that are, that are in that organization. Uh, it's been quite an organization. I didn't really get involved in it until about 2002, I guess, probably in there. And uh, we've had been lucky. We've had a lot of presidents. We've been affiliated with different groups over the years, but uh, we've been with, with RCAF for many, many years now because a lot of our philosophies run the same. You know, we, we believe in, in country of origin labeling. Uh, we believe in the main the main philosophy is that we're, we're concerned about uh, packer uh, abuse and, and control of, of the farmers and ranchers. We see the numbers disappearing. And then what is, I, I call the beginnings of vertical integration in there. That's, that's our biggest concern. So for listeners that are unaware, Vaughn and I are recording this at the Black Hill Stock Show in Rapid City, South Dakota, as you can hear, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, it has been cold and snowy, and but it's been fun. But we had a panel where RCAF president Brett Kinsey, the NCBA president, and the USDA president discussed industry issues and policy for the farm bill. And then RCAF had a farm bill listening session and social, and then just the normal selling raffle tickets and memberships. But overall, it's been a big success for both of our organizations. Um, <clears throat> and I've had a great time. But um, RCAF and stock growers have a long history with this event. So kind of tell me about the Black Hill Stock Show and how it came to be that our two organizations are are here and work together at it. Well, the Black Hill Stock Show, I'm not sure of the date it started, but it's, it's, it's one of the major shows in the United States, uh, right up there next to the Western National and, and some of the others. And uh, I guess as, as a cattle organization, you, you get all, all types of cattle and ranchers. Uh, they have, have quite, quite a few days of, of horse industry shows and, and, that, and that sort, and sales. And plus they, they do have cattle sales every day of the week. Uh, in, in the last week there from all different breeds in there. So it, it's, it's a major event and, uh, you know, we, we feel as, as, uh, as, as an, a cattle organization that represents the largest number of cattle producers here in South Dakota, that it's to our benefit to be down here. And, and uh, we, we not only are, are uh, interacting with membership to uh, promote ourselves, but we're also out, it's a listening session for us in a way we, we want to know what, how they feel in that. And we, uh, as you've seen in the last two years, we, we've run up opinion polls with, with the people that stop at our booths and stuff. And that's how we develop our policies and stuff and, and the direction that we go from there. 
Yep. So before we go any further, um, I do want to add, RCAF is the largest cattle association exclusively representing independent cattle producers, and we do that without any beef checkoff money. Um, we operate solely off of membership dues and donations. And so, Lon, as we get into the checkoff conversation, let's go back to earlier. As we said, you're the checkoff committee chair with RCAF, and part of what led to you holding that position is that you used to sit on the Cattlemen's Beef Board. Um, so talk to me kind of about the history of the beef checkoff, why it was started, how it was supposed to operate, and kind of how it operates today. It has, it has a long history. Uh, basically, producers from South Dakota and, and maybe even a few from North Dakota started what was called the Beef Producers of South Dakota, and they started lobbying in Congress because they realized something needed to be done. And uh, after a year or two of that and getting Congress's attention, why the National Cattlemen's Association took over and which was glad, to, I think, news to a lot of them because they were busy at home with things, so they, they left and went home. And, and if you follow, it, there were several votes to try and try and get a, a, a checkoff program through from uh, about the first one was in about 1976 and in there. Then there was two amendments to the thing, and, and one amendment in, in 1977 said that the, they, they questioned what the importers would do. Uh, in there, they are they going to get free ride or not? And that that was a simple amendment that just said that importers will pay a dollar per head equivalent on on cattle too. Then then in 1984, after several tries, or 83 or four, don't quote me on that, but there was an amendment that reduced it down from 75 uh, percent to to a simple majority to to win. And in 1984, it was approved. In 1985, it was included into the farm bill and passed on there. And uh, so that's where it, where it really started. Then in 1996, there was a merger between basically the Packers uh, side, side of it because they had had some, some promotion going from back in the early 1920s and 30s. And the, the Federation of, of the Meat Packers became the Federation of, of the State Beef Councils in there. And, and currently now you, you have that, that federation that represents the state beef councils is really not a, a set-aside organization. They are part of NCBA in there. So when, when your dollar comes, every dollar that's charged here in, in South Dakota, it has to be taken out at the sale barn or if, the, if you're a private individual, you have to mail it in. And the dollar goes to our state beef council and then it's split. 50% of that goes to the Cattlemen's Beef Board in, in uh, uh, Denver, Colorado, and uh, they they use that for for promotion and and research and and uh, all all the things for that. And the other half stays in the state here, and it can be used by the state how they see fit. Uh, quite often, the federation side of that requires that you buy seats to set on their federation, and uh, the first seat might be in that neighborhood of fifteen to twenty thousand. Some of the higher up seats, and like if you want to get up in there around six or seven seats, you you might be paying uh, two and three hundred thousand for a seat. So that money from the federation gets is supposed to go directly into the authorization request. That's the work that they they do annually in there, uh, on there, and uh, it's it's committed to it. Let's say that, and and uh, you know, I guess from 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 there, why the, some of the money that doesn't go on the Federation off to there where the states use indirectly. Like in South Dakota, we've, we've also sent money to projects like um, the Northeast Initiative where the higher population areas are. And and that uh, money we feel is well spent because in South Dakota we have the cattle, but we do not have the population. 
in there. And then there, we've also shared uh, with New York State, Pennsylvania, and, and other states individually out there. So talk to me about some of the contractors of the checkoff. Um, and I guess how much, how, so remind me how much money overall the checkoff brings in about a year. Checkoff brings approximately 80 million a year. Uh, it, it's up, up or down a little on there. Okay. Uh, but, and Cacallan's Beef Board, it's approximately, uh, I, I can't tell you this last year, I believe, I believe, yeah, the total authorization request for them was 45 million. That's, that's a rounded off figure. Uh, the uh, approved con NCBA is, is the largest contractor there. And for that matter, NCBA pretty well, their, their teams and stuff pretty much write all the contracts in there too. Mm -hmm. And so they, they're, they're able to write their own uh, check pretty much in there. Uh, this, if you look at the 2022 uh, authorization requests, in, NCBA's uh, share of those was 71% or 32 million of, of that, that money in there. And then on top of that, you have what's called the implementation fee, and that's what they charge for doing work. It's it's kind of like the wages for for doing the job, and uh, their their implementation fees will run about fifty one and a half percent for twenty twenty two. The other eight contractors in there uh, uh, received about thirteen million, or or about twenty four point. Uh, excuse me. Uh, it, their implementation fee was 24.5%, which is about half or less than half of, of what, what the NCBAs is in there. It used to be they were a standard flat rate of 20% when I was on the Cattlemen's Beef Board all the time in there. So you, you can see that uh, uh, the other the other eight would only receive about 29% of, of the total mm -hmm. contracts in there. On there. So that's kind of, kind of where they're at in there. Uh, that in, income for NCBA at $35 million that comes from the Beef Operating Committee. Um, then if you add in, in the total that they, they also receive on the from the Federation side in there, it figure, figures out to about 53.4 million or about 84% of their annual budget in mm -hmm. there. Which of course, as we know, cattle producers are required to pay. Right. And then it goes to a lobbying organization that does not even necessarily represent their views. Yes, correct. Um, but so let's back up to the CBB and talk to me about how the CBB, like how you get elected, what your experience was and how that kind of led to you holding this committee chair position with RCAF. Okay. On the, on the Catalans Beef Board in, in South Dakota, well, in all states, your, your name's put in and then the Secretary of Agriculture accepts you or not. Uh, sometimes it's, they're put in by organizations and, and, uh, and approved. Uh, by your by your state to, to send them on to it. Cattlemen's Beef Board is is made up of of a, roughly around 100 members. It gives or takes depending on the total cattle numbers in the United States in there. And they have what's called the Beef Operating Committee. And the Beef Operating Committee is made up of, of uh, 10 people from the Federation and 10 people from from the uh, uh, from our side that were appointed to to the Cattlemen's Beef Board in there. And that, that figure was set back in 96 when I referred to that uh, kind of uh, merging of, of the Packers in the deal in there, uh, the Packers in the uh, Cattlemen's Beef Board to, so they wouldn't duplicate on their advertising. And that was part part of the arrangement in there that the 10 of the Federation would have 10 seats on that board. So those, and I, as I mentioned, the Federation is, is the NCBA. So they automatically have a majority on that board before they ever start. Also, there's a super majority in there that 
those of us that are appointed from the outside by our beef councils, most of the beef councils are, are affiliated pretty heavily with, with the NCBA. So most of the members are probably well over 90% of them are NCBA members too on there. So they, the NCBA has big control of your checkoff dollars. It, it you know, it making up 80, well, this, this under the 22 uh, fund, that's 84 and a half percent of their total budget. So really it is a, it's a gravy train for, for NCBA to use. Mm -hmm. And that's why they fight so dearly to make sure they keep that, that running on there. You know, NCBA says they are a contract or a producer representation organization. No, really, they are a contractor organization, and that's that's what they do is they contract with for your beef uh, promotion and that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk American beef and the checkoff. And so as we fight for MCOOL with, which just FYI to our listeners, the American Beef Labeling Act was reintroduced and has a new bill number. It is now Senate Bill 52. But um, as we continue fighting for that legislation this year, um, back to American beef and the checkoff. So it's promotion in the U.S. and abroad. Can you kind of expand on what that looks like and how that works currently? The way, the way it was set up originally is when, when I mentioned that the, uh, the importers would pay an extra dollar, that, that opened the door for imports into the United States. And that means that we cannot advertise uh, labeled beef in the United States. Uh, we, we were able to during during country of origin labeling for a few years, but since then it's gone away. Overseas in our advertising over there, the U.S. Meat Export Federation, they, they can go ahead and advertise it as USA beef and, and everything. And uh, it's people in, in those in those countries are, they, they swarm when they see that uh, to the markets and stuff when there's posters up saying it's American beef and that. In fact, in a lot of those countries, you see the trucks running around carrying that beef or, or got USA beef on the sides and big time. But here in the United States, we're not allowed to label that, which is sad and, and it's it's uh, basically a fraud in the fact that the, the imported beef can come in here, be mixed and and also, or even repackaged for that matter and, and bear, bear the USA label on there. Uh, you know, if, if we tried to do that in any other industry, we, we'd be in jail for fraud if we were giving false advertising claims on there. So that's that's what the American Beef Labeling Act is trying to do is, is get back and, and allow consumers the ability, and it's not just beef, it's beef and pork products, mm -hmm. to, to be able to uh, decide where their beef comes from, let, let the consumer decide and, and make the decision. You know, the consumer knows best what's for their families and they're, they're, they're dedicated to buying clean and wholesome American beef. Yeah, it's just ridiculous to me of how these families abroad can make that decision for their families because they can choose to purchase American beef. But for some reason, the Americans that pay into the checkoff can't even advertise their product. And then American consumers can't even choose. Right. It's crazy to me. But um, so in the last episode of the podcast, we talked about how the chicken industry, um, while extremely vertically integrated, they have no checkoff yet chicken consumption continues to rise. And I haven't looked at last year's beef consumption numbers, but it appears to me with all the fake meat conversations, methane conversations, you know, all this stuff that plays into the war, the war on beef um, and on beef demand. So what does an effective beef checkoff look like to you? Um, and what reform efforts, I guess, are being made in today's checkoff? Well, there's, there's, we, we identified about 14 things that we needed to reform in the checkoff, but the two major ones would be the fact that if, if we didn't have a, any 
uh, policy organization contracting. Mm-hmm. That should be highly illegal because because it, they're using it to their benefit, um, basically because of the Packer influences in in their organization in there, and then of course country of origin labeling, letting letting producers uh, make their own choice on there, would would be uh, allowing allowing uh, the check off eventually to to promote uh, USAB. You know, on our industry or in, it, nationally on all all industry and stuff. They figure that advertising contributes about five percent to to the gross um, revenues of, of an organization or an entity or anything that's doing that. And if if, if that was the case in in the beef uh, checkoff advertising and work, you know that five percent in the last uh, ten years, by the time you you uh, take take the uh, amortization of it and, and add it in each year and that, we you'd see producers' beef prices way higher on there on, on that. The way it is is right now the consumer is paying a lot higher price than he did five years ago, but that's that's in in the uh, retail to wholesale spread that is is seeing seeing the differences, not not the producer to the wholesale spreads. Mm-hmm. So on the topic of reforms, let's talk about um, what are some other necessary reforms our industry needs to undergo um, in order to continue for many ranchers to continue to operate. Like I know we tried the. Uh, referendum a few years ago um and i know there's some other legislation we're supporting so talk to us kind of about those reforms well right now on on legislation yes the the major reforms is is to be able to uh, improve our our beef check off i guess and keep keep producers back on the ground like it was intended to do uh the major one that's out there right now that we've looked at uh, both in our uh, check off reform uh, coalition and uh, uh the organization for competitive markets started it about two years ago, and that is the OFF Act. And the OFF Act basically will will say that a contractor that is a policy uh, organization cannot contract, and uh, it also has some things in there like not uh, disparaging uh, other other checkoffs in there. But for the most part, it's it's to stop that in there. Uh, the AMP Act, you, it's being pushed by the Texas Animal Protein Producers. And that, that's a nationwide uh, deal in there. And uh, that basically is, is, it covers not only the checkoff, but it's covering uh, country of origin labeling. It's covering the uh, packers and stockyards rules and that. It's a pretty comprehensive legislation that will be coming. Of course, we've, we've got RCAF pushing hard and, and other organizations for country of origin labeling trying and checkoff reforms, trying to get them directly into the farm bill in there. So then I want to kind of go back to the referendum. I didn't have any questions about this, and I should have. Um, so the reason we made that checkoff referendum in the first place um, was the it, whenever the beef council was formed or the checkoff was formed, wasn't it we we're supposed to vote every, like, five years? <laughs> yes, that, that's the main thing. We've never, never been able to have a vote uh, since then. We we came close one time on there, but and they got the the in order to have a vote, it says that you must petition the secretary of agriculture, and and then uh, he he will allow you to to uh, do it. And and the vote has to be either an up or down on on the on the thing. You have to have ten percent of the signatures of the of the total number of producers in there, which is a huge amount in there. Mm-hmm. At that time, and I can't tell you what year it was, they came up with the total numbers, but they started throwing them out and, and uh, 
through the whole whole vote out process. We tried two years ago to, to get started and I, I feel it was a, a pretty healthy goal on it. Uh, yeah, we, we I reached, think you got like 40,000 40, yeah. signatures. So there's 40,000 people that want a vote on their checkoff. Right, exactly. And that in, that indicated ex exactly what, uh, you know, the, the lot of the producers out there and uh, the ones that did not sign the petition or we could not get a hold of were ones that yeah. just figure that it's probably cheaper than fighting it just to throw the buck away every day. You know, and it, it sounds like an insignificant amount, but you, you sell an animal for say a thousand dollars and you pay a buck on there. doesn't sound like a lot, but when that contributes to $80 million that's being used against you every year. I did a piece here with in conjunction with the help of Bill Bullard, uh, I suppose it's been five or six years ago. You know, they claim every dollar our beef checkoff puts in there creates $11.20 to the good on there. Well, this was based on, on what happened in 2015 on, to our markets, which went in half immediately when, when our contractors uh, lobbied to, to kill that market. And I figured exactly using those, those monies that were spent by those uh, five contractors that actually signed on to that thing, the money that we allocate to them. And it was close to $324 negative for mm -hmm. every dollar. That, that's what they cost us on that. Well, and I don't think people realize that, you know, people in the cattle industry know this, but every time that cow is sold. So, I mean, it could be sold five times, okay. if yeah. even more than that. And so that's $5 per that cow. Multiply that by however many our herd numbers are. That's a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot of money. And that is the, the, the hypothesis that's supposed to happen on there. But a lot of the cattle, and I, I can't tell you what the average is, but I think it's a little over $2 per head is generated mm -hmm. from the time that animal is born on my ranch to the time it's slaughtered in there. A lot of our calves nowadays are sold in the sale barn. We're already probably packer owned on there. And yeah. probably the only dollar on those calves that, that ever gets in there is, is the dollar I pay mm -hmm. out of my per head on there. So, so we're not we're not seeing the revenue for one, and that's one of the reasons they would like to increase it to two dollars. And I'll admit that the, the uh, everything else has gone up. We aren't getting as much you know, money to, to work with anymore. But it's been my theory. What I noticed when I was on the Cattlemen's Beef Board, when you when you talk about the waste and and that of, of having your your boards and your uh, administration and that working for there, if if they would put the uh, contracts out there and the work to allow it to see. It has to be done by a organization that was in z existence originally before 1984. Mm -hmm. Then they've opened it up to, to other organizations since then. If they would allow private contracting in there, I think they'd have the equivalent of at least another dollar, if not two, because the efficiencies of private contracting are really great in this country. You know, you look at mm -hmm. the independent business and stuff, and that's, that's how they operate on that. Yeah. yeah. So um, kind of jumping back to the reforms, and we have a checkoff coalition that we work with multiple, there's some other organizations, but just a lot of people that are fired up about the checkoff. And one of those focuses is on the Prime Act and the Off Act, and am I missing any, or is it just those two? Just those two, and, and, or the AMP Act. It's, and the AMP Act. coming on. Um, and so kind of expand more on what those, what would that mean for cattle producers if any of those three were passed? Well, it it would mean immediately right right then and there that they, they'd have to come up with a, a different way of, of advertising. More of your, your, more of your money would be available for, for advertising projects and, and that, and it, it wouldn't be uh, 
used against you. Like, like I just mentioned, that it's actually costing you money. And, and deep down, when, when they fight against you and, and kill country of origin labeling, cut, cut your, your profits in half on there. So either, any, of, any of them, we feel, would, would benefit the uh, producers. And hopefully, we'll get a combination of all, all of those. Yep. So what will happen to rural America if we don't achieve some of these reforms? I'm afraid rural America is going to be going the same route as, as the chicken industry and the pork industry. Uh, the few people that will be out here still raising, will, most, most family farmers will be lucky if they're able to work for a big corporation that's producing cattle. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, that's the way the hog industry is. If they don't have contracts with huge sheds that are raising thousands of they're not they're not interested in them you know they don't know any and the way we're seeing right now with the pressures coming down on on sustainable efforts and and the uh, there the sustainable effort has got six parameters that, that we have to meet and and they, they're like how you treat your labor how you treat your family mm -hmm. how you treat your animals and so on down and of course a lot of the deals including the angus association i am global and some of the others are, are coming out and making a business of, of uh, recording that for you you sell your animals, and uh, if you don't have that in there, they aren't going to take a bid on them. Mm -hmm. Plus, you've, you've got to have them there on electronic identification so they can pass your information on to the consumer, which is all quite fine, but they, they're not intending to pay you for, for, the, for your work on there. They're basically mm -hmm. using you to, to profit by on there. Yeah. So we're, we're going to see a lot of that, this, this sustainable. That's the other problem. Is this whole thing is going global, and, and your checkoff is already invested in in some of the things like the uh, uh, global roundtable for sustainable beef, and in there, that that I don't think was the original intention of our checkoff dollars to be allowing go global government to come in and, and dictate how people should live in, in within our country. Yep. So um, I will link information about the South Dakota Stock Growers Association in the show notes. But Vaughn, what is next for South Dakota Stock Growers? What are some goals that y'all are working towards this year? Well, right now we're kind of in a phase of, uh, what do you call it? Re re rebuilding. Re rebuilding phase. <laughs> and, and we've had some uh, real changes in the last year. We got a new executive director, Doris Lowing, that's doing a, one heck of a job. We're trying to just put our membership uh, base together. And I would say our major goal is, is to build membership uh, this upcoming year. And uh, we're, we're working right now, the legislature's met and we're working on several uh, areas from brand board issues all the way up to uh, uh, foreign ownership and, and that on land. And there, there'll be many, many others coming down, I'm sure. So it's the usual uh, issues when when legislation when the uh, legislature goes into business you know back in december i thought boy i wonder what we're going to do this year but they all pop up when we find mm -hmm. things keep busy but but i would say membership is our is our best deal and we we've had a membership problem in the past just reassuring the, the membership that we're uh, working for them and we're affiliated with with a great affiliation with RCAF that uh, we were that gives us capabilities on the national level that we wouldn't have otherwise yep. So anything you want to add before we close out? Well, I'd just like to thank you for all the work that you do, too, in RKF. And, and uh, you know, we look forward to working with you for many, many more years. Yes, I hope so. So one final question that we always close our podcast with, and it's usually the favorite question, is what is your favorite cut of beef and how do you like it prepared? Uh, I'd have to say prime rib. Yeah. Yep. I, I like it fairly on the red side. 
<laughs> lots of horseradish. Yes, yes, of course. Well, Vaughn, thank you for coming on and talking with us today. Um, I appreciate all you do and the work you put in with stock growers and our calf and all your other <laughs> organizations and positions. So. I thank you, and, and I thank all the work that you do for us and, and our calf uh, working night and day just Oh, well, we're maybe off here uh, vacationing a little and, and taking in the stock show. So, <laughs> thank you. Vaughn, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure we will have you back on the podcast in the future, but I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me as we run such a busy schedule this week, and I appreciate all you do for the industry. So for more information about the South Dakota Stock Growers Association, visit their website, southdakotastockgrowers.org. And for more information about the reforms being discussed, visit the RCAP USA website. Stay involved in the conversation and give us a follow at RCAPUSA on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the RCAPUSA Roundup. To learn more about RCAPUSA, visit our website, www.r-capusa.com.